mentors love to tell people because most people never ask them about their success. And when you ask people about success, they get to talk about themselves and most people love to talk about themselves. So they would actually give me their secrets. Nothing has meaning but the meaning that we give it in life. There's two things that, that I can control in my life is my work ethic and my level of curiosity. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now Let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Influence is an interesting aspect of being an entrepreneur. As each person climbs the ladder of success, their influence is bound to grow. How we manage that influence will say a lot about our character and help or hinder our continued growth. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Rock Thomas. Rock is a person that has built a considerable amount of influence over the years from becoming one of the top 50 realtors in the world, selling over 5,000 houses in a year. He has spoken and worked with some of the most famous entrepreneurs and thought leaders in the world, had his speeches and videos viewed over 55 million times, and built 34 streams of income. Throughout the show, Rock and I chat about the influence he has achieved and how he maintains it in the good times and not so good times. Rock's underlining message is influence begins with influencing self. And without further ado, Rock Thomas. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Rock Thomas to the show today. Rock, how are you doing, my friend? I'm excited as usual to be here chatting with you. You know, I think you're an excited person. That's at least what I got from from your videos and your website and your social media. Um, I, I have to ask, well, first, is that true? Well, you know, I guess it is because I believe this, is I believe that energy is the edge in life and uh-huh. that you might as you might as well um, have as much energy as you can. It's free. You can manufacture it if you pay attention. How do you manufacture it on a daily basis? Well, you first of all need to use the skills of visualization. You know, think back to when you thought of that one thing you wanted. I remember I was 13 years old and I wanted a scooter. I wanted to have freedom. I wanted to get off the farm and I wanted to go out and wanted to hunt down the girls. So I thought <laughs> every day about this scooter. And it got me excited and I went to work on the farm doing chores and making extra money to save up for my scooter. So you can create energy by visualizing things you want in your life, not the things you don't want, which is what most people do. I don't want a stupid job, be in traffic, et cetera, but to focus on what you want and to give it life. And that is one way to create excitement. Do you use a specific meditation or have a daily routine? 
Yeah, I use different meditations. I'll use guided med- meditations. Vishen Lakhiani has a really good one called. I the use that. Yeah. I do that daily. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. Tony Robbins has a thing called priming that I do sometimes. And then sometimes I'll just use headspace or I'll just simply myself just meditate. So I think quieting the mind or directing the mind, both of those serve as ways to create energy and power. Did you did you get that scooter that you were visualizing as a young boy? Freaking darn right I did. The day I turned 14, <laughs> I nailed that little thing and peeled off. And I'll tell you what is funny is that, you know, my brother had a, had a motorcycle and he taunted me all the time and let me sit on it, but would never let me drive it. And that became the driving force was the pain of tasting it and touching it and seeing him drive around on it and not getting to drove me. I think a lot of people, you know, they, they cushion their pain. So they, mm-hmm. they take drugs or alcohol or food and they medicate themselves. And I think that most successful people, you know, the story of Michael Jordan, who was kicked off his high school varsity basketball team. And he metaphorically drove a knife into his chest as massive pain and said, I will become a champion. Got up earlier, stayed later and used that pain as a springboard to performance. And so stop cushioning yourself in your life. Stop taking the drugs, the softeners and feeling sorry for yourself, but use the pain as power. Yeah, it's amazing. So many times that I've spoke with successful people and entrepreneurs, even people, you know, just average people, they've used that pain as drivers to reach their definition of success. And um, I want to talk, uh, I want to get to know you a bit more, Rock, but first, maybe we can answer this question. Um, how, how do you transfer that pain into a driver or to a power to create the result that you desire? Well, I guess, Chris, the best way to say it is that nothing has meaning, but the meaning that we give it in life. I lost all my hair to alopecia when I was 40 years old. And now I celebrate getting a massage once a month with the money I save from not doing, you know, getting haircuts and buying shampoo. (laughs) it's good reason yeah so i take what happens i call like in life you have assets and liabilities a liability is is something that let's call it it drains you it costs you it takes life away from you it takes money away from you an asset is something that creates right a house or, or or something a business it's an asset that grows money a farm with trees on it could be an asset it grows fruit so i look at everything as an asset and everything is an asset. So I lost my hair, it now becomes an asset for me take, having a massage. You go through a divorce, it's an asset now, the experience of what not to do. So framing becomes important, and if everything that comes at you, you utilize, then it's an asset. If you don't utilize it, then you're an ass. So you've <laughs> gotta get leverage on yourself to say, how do I use the things coming at me, even the things I don't like, like the guy who cut me off or I missed the parking spot or the idiot boss that I work for or the competition that opened up uh, right across the street or online, how do I utilize that to become better? In life, if you do what is difficult, life is easy. But we're wired to look for things that are easy. So I've just said, look, John Paul Getty said it, the masses are headed in one direction. You know, you should be going in the other direction. We're in a very toppy real estate market or market right now in the stock market, the market's being slammed the last few days. That's exciting to me. Something's about to change. There's an opportunity if you're paying attention. 
The thing that people don't do, and you talk about influence, is the first thing you have to be able to do is influence yourself to be in a mode like a champion where you overcome the circumstances. I'm a big fan of Tom Brady. Are you a football guy at all? Uh, I'm not, but I definitely know who Tom Brady is. So Tom Brady, when one of his key players gets injured in the middle of a game, he doesn't go back to the coach crying and going, I can't win the game. This is sucks. Life is a bitch. What he does is he goes, okay, time for me to be a champion, to step up, to use my resources, to be innovative, because that's what's going to cause me to be the best version of myself. If people live their life that way, where they, they had something go sideways and they became innovative, creative, curious, they would then be excited by life versus feeling like, shit, I wish it didn't happen this way. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Rock, I want to get to know you more as the influential person that you are today. And I watched a bit of your your Goalcast video and then read over your bio on the website. And you have a really interesting experience. You grew up in on a farm and then went after your dreams and success to get your scooter and your millions pretty rapidly. But, um, you know, I grew up in Missouri too, and I, my, the, my mother's family's farmers too. And I actually wanted to be a farmer growing up and I still kind of, and I still do in the back of my mind. That's one of the goals that I, I'll, I'll achieve. But, um, I, I liked your story and I liked your background. So I, I don't, uh, I just like to ask you if you don't mind sharing, um, the process and journey of you becoming the man that you are today. Yeah, Sure. You know, I've, I've become curious about psychology and why people do what they do and why they can't get themselves to do the things that they know they do. Most people know they should work out more and they don't or call their mom more and they don't or build a business or learn how to be better with technology, but they don't because they're not in the mood. They don't feel like it. So I became fascinated by this to discover how do you get yourself to do things when you're not in the mood? Because the reality is you're not going to lead an epic life if you only do things when you're in the mood. Right now, circumstances for me got me to do things when I wasn't in the mood growing up on a farm. And you can relate if you grew up on a farm, the horses don't care that the, the pipes froze and that the water doesn't come to the paddock. You carry buckets and you fill up, you know, the containers there and they drink the water. So you become resourceful by default. What happens on the flip side of that is something I've developed called the support and courage challenge model in life. If you have, a tree that grows in the soil and the soil supports the tree, it has a chance of growing. Try to grow a tree on concrete, it's probably not going to work because it doesn't support it, it's not fertile. If the tree has sun, it will be encouraged to grow and therefore it will have a chance to root itself in the ground that it's supported by. And then the wind provides the challenge and it breezes and it gets blustery and the tree now roots itself strongly and you have the perfect tree or the reinforced model of a human that performs at the highest level. Now I grew up with a lot of challenge and maybe you did too, where it was very windy. It was very blustery. It wasn't sunny all the time. I didn't have a ton of encouragement and I had very little support. So the roots were having trouble getting into the rocks. So I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a rugged tree, <laughs> but because I was tested a lot and I had this will to live, I found a way to grow the roots and I went deep down enough to become this massive oak tree. But I have a little bit of chip on my shoulder or I did have a chip on my shoulder because it was tough. It was lonely. I felt abandoned. It was dark and cloudy at times and it was freaking windy way too often according to what I would have liked. 
The problem is that children that grow up with a ton of support and their mom drops them off at the front door and makes them a lunch with a little beautiful love note in it and they do their homework for them and you know all that sort of thing. Those people, the, fer- the soil is so fertile that the tree can't root. The wind comes along and knocks it over. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah. So what I've discovered is that you shouldn't worry too much about what your circumstances were growing up. Acknowledge what they were. You had massive support. You feel loved. You feel safe. If you lose your job, you can go home back and live with your parents. I can't do that. My father passed away with cancer and I bought a house for my mother because she's broke. So if it wasn't to me, I had no place to go to be safe. So I was forced or I became, I chose to win in the game of life incredibly resourceful, but I went through several divorces because I never felt worthy of love, put way too much pressure on my, on my, my wives to provide me with what I didn't get as a child because I didn't have the proper structure of the support and courage and challenge in my love garden. Wow. I've learned that later, but had I learned it earlier, I might still have been in a relationship that I was in initially because I sabotaged it. I showed up in a way demanding, give me rich soil, give me rich soil. <laughs> you need to be sunny every day, sweetheart. Stop blowing your wind. I've had enough of that growing up. And she's like, but no, it's, it's, you got all three, three of those elements in life. And I'm like, no, I only want the first two. So I guess all that to say, Chris, is, is notice what you got. And then be prepared to add to that and go into other environments where it can be added proportionately. And most people need more challenge in their life. They need to hire a coach. They need to be with somebody who's going to tell them the truth that they're, that they're just being too soft or they're not stepping up or they need to get up earlier. So I've looked at my life that way and tried to balance it out. And when I'm, when I'm balanced out, I perform at the highest level. My companies, I hire people. We look at, we use that model. What does that person need? Where did they come from? What did they get? And how do we grow them by giving them what, what they're lacking in each one of those silos? Rock, what are some other ways? I know you mentioned have, uh, hiring a coach, but what are some other ways to, to have more challenge in your life, like you mentioned? Well, <clears throat> you can manufacture it where there's no risk, which is what a lot of people need to, ha- to do. When I coach people, I say, listen, you want to grow, great. We're going to grow your business. We're going to grow you. We're going to do those things. But in the meantime, brush your teeth for the next seven days with your left hand. Get in the car from the, pass- <laughs> get in the, car from the passenger seat and climb over and get into the driver's seat from that side for seven days. Just so you know that getting in your regular door is freaking nice. Right. <laughs> when you go to the office, if you're on the 20th floor, three days of the week, take the stairs just so you really appreciate the elevator. So there's a million ways you can do it, but you want to pepper yourself with different things that are outside of your comfort zone that aren't going to kill you. You know, there was a book written where they talk about 4% outside your comfort zone is the optimal growth range. The reason that's true is because if you go too far out your comfort zone, panic and survival kicks in and the learning band reduces because the brain is in survival mode. When you're running away from a bear, you're not focused on your running technique. You're focused on surviving. To, to refer back to how did I run? Did I run with my hands closed, arms open? Was my knees going up or my knees going out? You can't recall that because you're not even focused on it. So we put people in the learning process just outside their comfort zone on a regular basis. 
and then they grow over time exponentially. I'm going to try to brush my teeth with my left hand tomorrow. <laughs> Good. Good. For seven days, Chris. Yeah. Rock, um, I know you became one of the top 50 realtors in the world. So that that's an amazing accomplishment. First, I want to know, like, how, how do you even define that? And also, um, what was that learning process like? What were some of the major takeaways from that experience? Yeah, great question. So defining it was, I was a 3MAX, the number one real estate company in the world. And they measure it on the number of transactions that you do. We were selling, I think, at the time, 5,500 homes a year. Wow. Put us, put us into that category. I had uh, sold about a billion dollars a year. Today, that's not as impressive. But we're talking 25 years ago when you know homes were a third of the cost that they were today. So say, imagine I had a company that was selling 5 or $6 billion today would be in that, in that range. Um, I would say that... <clears throat> Modeling is really important. Find somebody who's getting the result that you want. There's two things that, that I can control in my life is my work ethic and my level of curiosity. And I just pushed both of those envelopes. I was really good at showing up early and staying late. And I was really good at walking around in the corridors of my office and asking all of the successful people to coach me. I'd say, you know, if you were to do one thing to develop your business, what would you do? And then they would tell me because mentors love to tell people because most people never ask them about their success. And when you ask people about success, they get to talk about themselves and most people love to talk about themselves. So they would actually give me their secrets. And then I would take that work ethic that I had and apply them and I'd pay attention. I really believe, Chris, that success is in the details. So yeah. I'd listen to the little things that they would do. You know, they would send a postcard out with a picture of the home at Christmas time, but the picture was taken in the summer. When do you get a picture of your own house? Today with technology, it's different, but back in the day, when did you get a picture of your own house in the summer, full bloom, beautiful trees at Christmas? So it was the little things that I picked up on, and then I just consistently showed up, consistently week in, week out with morning routines and evening rituals. And then I also had this habit of asking myself questions like, what did I do that was great? What could I have improved and how am I going to implement that at the end of every day? When you make those minor tweaks, and I know it sounds really simple, but most people won't even do it. Even if we talk about this, most people will go, oh, it's an interesting concept, but they won't do it. Yeah, I like that. Can you, can you repeat those questions one more time? Yeah, so what worked? And the reason you capture that is just like any great you know, athlete that lo looks at the video of the previous game, they're like, oh, that was really good the way you ran out that way or the way you kicked it that way or you shot it that way. Great. Capture that, lock it into your nervous system and, and burn and galvanize it in there so you can repeat it. The second thing is to look at the things where, where there's room for improvement, what didn't work and go, you know what? You threw it there, they intercepted it or you kicked it there and went over the net. You know, you need to finish your follow through lower and longer. Let's go out and practice that now 20 times, 100 times, so that in the game situation will be automatic. When you do that, you get 1% better, better every day, then you compound that, you get exponentially better compared to the competition that finishes a game and they go, oh yeah, we won, great. Let's go out and win next week. They don't even know how they won. I like that. Rock, I wanna ask you, I, I've learned over the years that uh, 
being an entrepreneur is in building a successful business is without a doubt one of the most important things is to build a solid system. And you mentioned that I think you have somewhere around 30, 35 business streams of revenue. And for me, uh, that seems almost unfathomable. <laughs> you know, I have one or two that are going now and I've worked a long time for those and they're doing pretty well, but to have 34. So I'm curious, like creating those systems for you and that type of revenue, what, what's the process um, of you deciding, okay, I want a, I want a new stream of revenue. How do I set up the system? How do I make it work? And how do I make it work and remove myself from it? Yeah. So I have a model called me, we, they. So the first thing I do is I find out what is the business I want to run or operate or open. Like I, I sold my business, my real estate business, Remax in 2006 and opened up another one in 2013. So I went and modeled people that had this new franchise called, you know, in Canada called Keller Williams at the time. I got educated. I took some courses. I figured out what the models were. And then I went out and I started to build my team. Now, if you look at, you know, we'll call them uh, small, medium, or large uh, businesses or struggling uh, middle class and rich. Struggling people, they ask questions like, how? How, how are we going to do this? You know, how are we going to build the business? How are we going to run this? How does it work? And they usually get stuck there because they're in the weeds. You know, middle-class people have some success behind them. They have a bit of a model. They're going to go, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to sell? Um, what's the next opportunity? And then really successful people, they're above, they're at 20,000 feet, and they're thinking, who is going to run my business for me? So I go in it with a me, we, they. I like to understand my business so I can appreciate the people that will be running it for me and understand what I should pay them. So I start off modeling somebody else, and then I do it. So I'll start off mopping the floors and putting the light bulbs in and putting the furniture together and then eventually hiring the receptionist and then my manager, et cetera. But I do all the jobs first. Then I let them observe me and that's the we part. So I have them watch me make phone calls, cold calls or interview people or whatever the task is. And when they've done it and watched me enough, then they model me. And now I watch them do pieces of it until they've gotten the feedback of what I said before, what worked, what didn't work, how do you improve? And until they can own it and they can do it without me being there. When the standard has been set that I met, then they can take over and that's when they do it. My real estate company I have in Montreal is run by um, five staff members. We have 110 realtors and I work there about maybe one hour a month. And I'd usually do it like you remotely from wherever I am in the world. And that business makes me about $20,000 a month. So one hour is $20,000 paycheck. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty happy with making $20,000 an hour. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, what are some of the other the streams of income that you have, Rob? So I own, um, I own a bunch of uh, real estate investments, commercial and residential. Uh, I flip properties. Um, I, we do student housing. So there's probably about 15 or so of the revenue streams that come directly or indirectly from real estate. I do hard money loans, which is I do first and second mortgages on properties. I will invest, obviously, you know, in the stock market, in the hedge funds, cryptocurrency, 
Um, and I promote a lot of other people's businesses. So I have friends that are um, running businesses or that are selling products. Uh, and I, I believe in their product and then I will promote it to people that I know and they'll pay me an affiliate fee or a commission for that or they'll be on part of my coaching programs and they're one of our trainers within the, the program. They're a coach or they're, they're a teacher of something. Maybe they teach people how to flip properties, but I refer them to some of my students and then I get paid an affiliate fee. So I have a bunch of those. Um, I work for Tony Robbins. He pays me and um, I've started uh, multiple masterminds. So we do adventure trips around the world. So I get paid for that. I'm a speaker. I have three books. I have audio programs. So when you start to add all of those up, you start to have these little streams that turn into estuaries that turn into waterfalls. And eventually you have, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of different income coming in and it adds up because a lot of it is, you know, reoccurring. You write a book in 2006 and you keep on selling it on Amazon and although it might be, you know, only sometimes five hundred or a thousand dollars a month, I don't have to ever write that book again. Yeah. Do you do you recommend for people that want to get multiple streams of income to focus on one first, or should they uh, focus on a, a few to start off? What What's your thoughts? Yeah, I suggest one at a time. Yeah. So you know, you 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 plant trees, but you manage orchards. When you build a house, you build the foundation up and you, and you can frame it in and protect it from the elements and you can leave a crew there that you've mentored and then you can go to the next one and build the foundation. But if you build 20 foundations and they're all half built and a storm comes along and wipes you out or you've got your capital spread out, you've got your resources spread out, chances are you're going to get wiped out. So I'm much more the believer of, you know, take that one thing, master it, beat it to death, be obsessed, be totally focused, go all in and build it up. By the way, that real estate company that I had, I, you know, I'm giving you the, you're coming in at the, 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 the nice part of the story, but there was three years that I worked at that, that I made no money, not a dime. Yeah. And I invested $300,000 in buying assets and furniture and, and, you know, franchise agreements and stuff. So if we extrapolate the number of hours that I put into it, you know, maybe I'm making 200 bucks an hour or something like that, but the heavy lifting's done. Now I'm into the, you know, I'm harvesting every year. Same way I wrote my book. It took me two years to write my book. I didn't make any money on that, but I'm making money for the rest of my life. So yeah, one at a time, be completely invested and focused, reverse engineer the plan, whether it's a six month or a three year plan, whatever it is. And then once that's up and running, me, we, they, and they, somebody else is managing it, operating it, promoting it, or what have you, then you move on, plant the next tree until you have a, you know, uh, an orchard like I do with about 36 different streams of income. Reverse engineering is something I do a lot, and the people that I work with, we make sure we do it in, in a very detailed manner um, to make sure that we can, we'll do our best to get to the desired outcome. I'm curious if you have say a goal in your business and you want to hit that goal or even maybe the goal is to create a new business or create a new stream of income. What's the process of you reverse engineering that? So you, you make sure you hit it. Yeah, so I learned that from Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. And most of the time when you build a business, you have to think about your exit strategy. And I have a mastermind group now where I coach people, um, to become millionaires. And initially, again, I was doing all of the pieces, but now I have 
33 people that work in that organization in different levels and some are operators and some are tech people and some are website people and Facebook ads and blah, 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 blah. So I began with the end in mind and thinking, okay, I'd like to influence 10,000 people to become millionaires within the next five years. And what does that look like? And how much time will I spend running the entire, um, you know, machinery in order to impact these lives? And what I want to do is that by, by the time I got to five years, I wouldn't even have to be there. The ecosystem would, would exist without me. It's kind of like when you own a revenue property, you create passive income for yourself while you're alive, but you also leave it so that if you want to have it paying a dividend to a charity while you're no longer alive, it just keeps on going and going. So for me, I always think like, you know, how long will it take me to get it up to the they stage? And what does that look like? And then I look for the who. Who are the players I need to add in? Who are, who's, the, who's the talent that I need to put in place? And then I don't have to micromanage. I don't have to go, okay, you know, what software are we going to use to operate this? I hire the who that knows the software that will be the best software to serve the product that I'm trying to create. So I think mostly with what's the end game and then who are the players I need to add in there. What are some things that you look for, Rock, when, you, when you're hiring those people and bringing the team on? So we have several assessments we do. We have the DISC model. Are you familiar with that? I am, yeah. So I'll look at that. And then we have different descriptions for different positions. I also do something called sacred gifts. So I have my key people go through a course. It's a four-week course. And we discover what are their four to six primary gifts that they've been given, we believe, at birth. It takes a while for them to figure out what they are. But I'll give you an example. Some people have the gift of service and other people have the gift of administration. I don't have the gift of administration. It's not my strength to work with paperwork. I lose stuff, so I surround myself with people that are really good at that. But I do have the gift of service. So even though I could be at a seminar and be the speaker uh, and be paid a lot of money to speak, if somebody walks in the room late and they don't have somewhere to sit, it's my natural tendency to say, hey, come on in, come on in, grab it here, there, but let's pull the seat up and have a seat there, and then continue on with the event because it's natural for me to serve people, to want to take care of them. So knowing that if you have somebody that's going to support me in the room, I got this girl, Steph, she has the gift of service. She's really good to have in the room where somebody else who has the gift of administration, they might have their nose in a laptop looking at the numbers and making sure that everything's working and not notice the person coming in the room. So I use many behavioral assessments to determine if that person's gonna be on the right seat of the bus. And then once we know that, we let them lean into that and, and live into that and we highlight it and, and we celebrate it. Because otherwise people end up trying to hide their weaknesses and they live in fear and stress and they never, you know, they never blossom. So we try to do the opposite is let them shine where they shine. And sometimes you know, like people make fun of me. Like I fired myself as a CEO of of the mastermind group because I'm not the best person for it. I'm the artist. I'm the talent. I do the content. I said, I just want to be Justin Bieber. I want to be on stage <laughs> or in the studio, but I shouldn't be doing the logistics and working out what hotel we're staying at and what the music and lighting should look like. That's not my strength. I did it at the beginning when I was in the me stage, but now I'm in the they stage and I can afford to have people. Then I go back to, you know, my core strength, which is delivering content and or recording stuff in studio or being interviewed by people like yourself. Can you say those stages one more time? It's me, they, us. Me, me, we, they. 
So the me is 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 you doing it, you mopping the floor, right? So me, right. Say me mopping the floor. The we is you standing there watching me mop the floor, and then me giving you the mop and saying, now you try it, and now I give you feedback. And I'm like, no, bigger sweeps, or it's too wet, or make sure it's wetter, or rinse it out like this. And then once you've done it for a while, I'm like, now you got it. That's right. That's right. Oh, when you get to this part, turn the chairs upside down. Make sure you get, you know, don't go around it. I want the chairs completely up, remember? And once you get every spot, standards, yes, okay. Watch, 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 watch. Give you feedback. Celebrate. Great. Tomorrow you do it on your own. You're good. And then I leave and now I go cook the hamburgers. <laughs> Rock, let's talk about influence. Now you've you've um, accumulated a significant significant amount of influence over your career, and I think I saw this the statistic somewhere that uh, people have watched your videos and presentations over fifty five million times, which is amazing. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, this series of podcasts, we are talking about influence and getting behind the minds and the science and the methods of of influence. So, what is what is influence? First off, let's start with this. What does influence mean to you? And um, what are some of the things that you're doing to uh, maintain that influence as you grow as an entrepreneur and as a person? Yeah, I mean, I think there's many levels of it. And I try to do the best to first influence myself. So when you design your rituals and routines, like I'm 56 years old, when I get up, and I'm not going to go to the gym, because I'm traveling, I'm in the road, I do 57 push ups. And so I'm influencing myself to do something that serves me at a higher level. But nobody will know whether I do them or not, because I'm in my hotel room on my own. However, my father taught me that somebody or imagine somebody is watching you even when you're in private. Cause I used to go out and do chores on the farm and he couldn't watch me all the time cause he was busy trying to make a living. So he would say, God is watching you. So when you dig that hole, paint that far thing or sweep the, the, the barn, God is watching you. And so he delegated the, the oversight to God, which scared the heck out of me. So I did a really good job and I got used to it. So I think that influence first comes by influencing yourself to do what is difficult, even if you're not in the mood. If you can't do that, congruency will kick in later because you're gonna be somebody that says, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that, but people are gonna look at your body, you're out of shape, they're gonna look at your, at your integrity, they're gonna feel it in your voice, in your eyes, that yeah, you know, you tell people to do it, but you're not doing it. So. I believe that the first stage of influence comes in consistently getting yourself to step up. If you look at any great athlete or CEO, um, you get this sense that they are willing to do what they are asking you to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you have that feeling and you feel it in somebody, and I often challenge kids in their 20s to do a push-up contest at the drop of the hat anywhere, and I usually win, and I'm double their age, they usually look at me and go, whoa, that's freaking <laughs> impressive. And I do it because it's fun, and I do it because I've worked out for so long, I might as well have fun with it. But I also do it as, as, a, as hopefully an inspiration to them to say, like, if you're willing to do those little things and you're willing to be consistent, life will reward you multiply. So I think influence number one is just learning how to influence yourself, and that's a whole conversation in and of itself. The second thing is influencing one other individual. 
If you can't influence your children to make their bed or brush their teeth, then you need to take some, some courses and some training on how to gain rapport and influence people. And I've taken lots of courses that way. It's a skill. You're not born with the skill of influence. So you got to learn how to do that. Maybe take a negotiation course. Maybe learn how to create rapport with people because you can't influence people unless you're in rapport. You'll be able to influence one other person. The third level is to, to, in, is to be able to influence a small group. You're holding a small meeting, what have you. You need to be able to inspire, incite them, excite them, get them to grow. You know, progress isn't guaranteed, but progress often makes people feel good. So if you can't help people progress, they're not going to feel good. If they're not going to feel good, they generally aren't going to be able to step into their best self. So if you want to grow a business and you can't make people feel good and you can't help them progress, what are the chances of you growing a business? Not very good. So once you get to, to the small group, then the last level that I look for is what's the culture? What's the things that we all agree upon are valuable to us that we maintain when I leave the room? So my real estate office, you know, as an example, you know, they subscribe to, let's say, the support, encourage, and challenge model. They subscribe to, you know, being punctual or being polite. Or we have a thing like, you know, I see you. So the receptionist, she needs to see the salespeople. She needs to acknowledge them. She needs to appreciate them because they're out there on the, on the road alone and they come back in the office beaten up and she just doesn't even look at them when they come in the door. I say, I don't think that's the culture that I want. I know I've been a salesperson out there on the road. It's lonely, man. You want to walk back in that office and have somebody go, there you are. It's, you know, you're working your butt off again. Good job, buddy. And then you, know, you crave to get a little bit of that connection and maybe it's worthwhile. So one day you can come and say, hey, I closed the deal and somebody celebrates with you. So the fourth level for me is creating the culture so that I don't need to be there, but the standards are maintained so that people still want to feed from that environment. As a responsible influencer, Rock, what, what is a time when you had one of your biggest challenges um, as an influencer and how did you work through the process of um, overcoming that challenge and ending up on, on a, a win on the backside of it? Wow. You had to ask that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could tell you there was only one, there was many, I've probably lost over four or $5 million in my life on, on, on things that were in hindsight, pretty easy, but I'll choose one. And that's when I sold my real estate company for $4 million and seven years later, she had trouble paying the bill. And so she defaulted on the bill. And I had to hire lawyers and maybe take the shares back. But there was a risk in taking the shares back because I didn't know the debt that could be associated to it with back taxes and, and back rent and all kinds of stuff, franchise fees. So my lawyers, you know, recommended I didn't do that. And I ended up Shield me 2.6 million. I ended up settling out of court for $800,000. So kind of a net loss of about 1.8 million or 1.6 million, somewhere around there. So I, I had, I evicted her from the building that I actually owned and um, moved into that building, took over the assets and opened up my real estate office, which that I own now that I make $20,000 a month on during that period of time. I called up every agent in that office to try to find out whether what they knew about what was going on to determine whether I should, um, you know, take the shares back. And what I thought was going to happen did not happen is I thought people were going to go rock. We miss you so much. You used to run this office. You were the best ever. Instead, 
I was yesterday's lunch. Really? And I, I learned that, you know, people are really nice to those that can make a difference in their life. And I was no longer the decision maker. So I really, they didn't care. And it kind of crushed me, to be honest. I worked, you know, I helped many of these people take their career from $80,000 a year to a quarter of a million. I worked with them for 10 years. Um, but maybe they felt I abandoned them in selling the company. I'm not sure. But I, I used my influence primarily to influence myself, to keep myself um, level-headed as I had to hire a lawyer to go after money that I believe belonged to me. I had a peer group of business people through my masterminds that I could consult other than my lawyer because lawyers want you to settle. They are not negotiators. And they wanted me to settle at $500,000. I ended up settling at 800000 and getting all the assets and office furniture. So it was more like an extra half a million dollars I got because I had business men that were my buddies that were able to influence me to not be influenced by my lawyer. So influence is a very interesting thing. It really comes down to, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you. And fortunately, I had a bunch of them and, um, and they helped me get through that difficult situation. Amazing. Any other tips that you would like to give the entrepreneurs out there or soon to be entrepreneurs about growing influence throughout their, their careers? You know, when I ran my real estate office, I measured people's progress because I believe that, you know, you can only improve things you measure. So I measured people's progress year over year and my business for 17 years, I was in real estate, grew for 17 years in a row. And the most I could get after owning my office was I got one person out of the 270 agents that improved for seven years in a row and then they, and they went backwards. Everybody else could hit two or three years, maybe four, and then they had a little dip. You know, They went from 120 to 140 to 180 and then down to 160 and then up to 200 and then down to 180. So I I started to analyze that and, and I looked and I thought, my gosh, Chris, it's not the competition. It wasn't the change in the market situation. It wasn't the interest rates. It wasn't the fact that there was a new technology came out. It was nothing to do with the industry itself. Do you have any idea what it was? No. It always came down to something personal. Yeah. They went through a divorce they, their kid got addicted to cocaine. Um, their spouse had an affair. Something happened personally. They got sick. Somebody in their family got sick. It was always something personal, which was they weren't able to influence themselves enough that they were able to still manage the, the, the bombs going off in their life and move their business forward. They were the business. They hadn't leveraged it. They didn't do any me, we, they. So as soon as they had to take their eye off of their business or what they were doing, immediately there was a downturn. And then that downturn pissed them off um, <laughs> to the point that they became even more a victim to their circumstances and they were mad that so-and-so got sick or that so-and-so had an affair. And then they lived in the story and things spiraled down until they pancaked and then they had to kind of rock bottom out. And you've seen that happen to a lot of people. They're, they're yeah. going well for a while. And then it all seems to unravel. And people say they sabotage themselves. What they really did is they lacked the ability to have systems and models in place so that when things go sideways, they can change their focus like I did when I lost all my hair and use everything as an asset. 
So, so my suggestion or my invitation to people is work on your ability to become a master of meaning and don't believe that things are happening to you. Think, believe that happen, things are happening through you and it's up to you to find you know, the good, the silver lining, the asset in things and become stronger. Stop looking for things to be easier. Look for yourself to become better and relish the obstacles because the road with no obstacles leads to nowhere. I love that, Rock. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the podcast. If the listeners wanted to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? RockThomas.com is a great place. Um, GoM1.com, G-O-M-1.com is one of my masterminds. Pretty cool to check that out. And GoBundance, G-O-Bundance. GoBundance is another one of my masterminds, just depending on what you're looking for. You can get me on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can, uh, if you go to my website, you'll get my book for free. You can get some of my books on Amazon. Just Google me. Um, I have a bunch of books there in a planner, um, some audio programs. So, you know, if you, if you just put Rock Thomas in Google or Amazon or what have you, you'll find me and you'll find some, some different products that I have. And I'm, I'm happy to help. I say to people, listen, I don't want to sell you information. I want to sell you transformation. I don't believe in information. Information without accountability and without application is useless, so don't buy it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Rock, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it, so thank you, Rock. All right. Yeah, it's been great being with you, Chris. Yeah. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.